You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I'm here. Aaron's here. It's a football Friday for the last time uh, this year. Super Bowl is on Sunday. It's been a weird Super Bowl week, as we've discussed all week, because of the Kobe Bryant tragedy this week. I had Mike Jones on the radio show uh, earlier this morning live um, from uh, Miami, and he said it is hovered over Miami all week long. But as we've gotten into late uh, in the week, uh, people uh, talking up the game a lot more. You just said to me that somebody just placed a $267,000 prop bet on Damian Williams going under, what was the yardage? 53 and a half rushing yards. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. On a prop bet on 53 and a half rushing yards. 49ers can stop the run. Yes, they can. There's no doubt about that. Um, we have seen that. But, you know, all it takes is one big one from Damian Williams, and he has had some big runs this year. He had a 90-something-yard touchdown run against the Vikings in that game that Patrick Mahomes didn't play in uh, when they beat the Vikings. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now how long that touchdown run was. It changed the whole game. Uh, It was a 91-yard touchdown run from Damian Williams, and then he had a long touchdown run in the uh, playoff game, didn't he, against the uh, Texans? Yeah, yeah, he had one that was... I don't know if it was to seal it, basically, but I remember that being a big thing. Yeah, Damian Williams. Hold on, I'm going to look. Uh, Damian Williams had a run in the um, in the divisional playoff round. It was. I know he had a super long run. Where is it? Where is it? Here it is. Uh, no, it was just a 26 yard run. That's My still, fault. Still 26 yeah. to get to 53. Yeah, that's ha- that's that's not halfway there, but it's getting closer. Yeah, pretty much uh, halfway there. All right, so. Um, we've got some of that conversation today. Aaron is prepared. I would hope you're prepared with prop bets today. I got some fun ones. Okay, so we'll get to that a little bit later on. There's a smell test. We'll make predictions on the game uh, as well. But there's some other things to get to um, this morning. Um, and we'll start with the basketball from last night. Maryland won at home against Iowa, 82-72. to Anthony Cowan had a career-high 31 points in that game. Uh, it was it was an impressive performance for Maryland. When, when you consider that it was just three weeks ago that the Terps got absolutely run out of the building at Iowa City, 67-49. to 49. And it was that game combined with their loss, their close loss at Wisconsin, that basically had uh, really outraged Terp, Terp Nation. You know, that combination of games sent people into a tizzy. So much so that Mark Turgeon, you know, was on with me the other day on radio, essentially said that he's, you know, very aware of the criticism. And he went out of his way to say, hey, I'm a good coach and I'm good with young people. Um, And I'm not paying attention to social media. Most of the people that I see out and about tell me that I'm doing a good job. We've won a lot of games. And he said to me the other day, we're 16 and four. You know, we're six and three in the Big Ten. And after last night, they've won four games in a row from that, you know, mini turmoil period. Uh, losses to Iowa and Wisconsin. Uh, they've won four in a row, and they are now 17-4 and four and 7-3 and three in the Big Ten. Um, Anthony Cowan was incredible last night. Um, he's been incredible many times for Maryland over the last couple of years. He is putting together quite the Maryland basketball career. You know, in this day and age, when you're, you know, when you're a starter for four years, you know, and you're, you're going to put together some numbers, you know, because the, the number of guys that come in and start for four years, it's not the same. You know, it, 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 it just doesn't happen that much like it used to. So 
Anthony Cowan's been a four-year starter, and he's starting to climb that list of of scores, and even on the uh, the assist list. Um, I was looking at this last night. So last night he passed Walt Williams to move into twelfth all time on the scoring list. But in sight are Terrence Morse at eleventh. Uh, Johnny Rhodes, Keith Booth, and Tom McMillan. All of these guys he should be able to pass, and he'll probably be able to pass Lonnie Baxter as well. If Anthony Cowan doesn't get hurt, Anthony Cowan's going to leave Maryland as their seventh all-time leading scorer, more likely than not. That is impressive. Think about the list of players that Maryland basketball has produced. You know, at that t- at the top of the list is Juan Dixon, who played 141 games. Anthony Cowan's played 121. Dixon played 141. Why? Because they had lengthy runs in the NCAA tournament. Gravis Vasquez played 136 games. He's second on the list. Len Bias is third. Albert King is fourth. Adrian Branch fifth. And John Lucas is sixth. Now, Cowan, more likely than not, will not get a chance to pass Lucas. He could, he could, but Lucas is out there a bit. But Lonnie Baxter at seventh is very much within range for Cowan to pass before the end of this year, which would put him at seventh all-time on the Maryland scoring list. That would be pretty impressive. He's also right now fifth on the all-time assist list. Now, to catch Terrell Stokes, who's fourth, He'd have to really, you know, produce at a pretty high level. You know, even if he's at five, six assists a game for, you know, 12, 13 more games, um, that's going to put him in range right there of, of passing Stokes, which he could do for fourth on the all-time assist list. That'll be tougher to do than to finish in the top seven all-time in scoring. How about this one? He's one of only two players, along with Gravis Vasquez, to have at least six 1,600 points and 520 assists. Very impressive. Now, yeah. the assist uh, leader all-time was Steve Blake, and Gravis Vasquez is second, and yeah. he's 200 assists behind Blake Yes, on that list. But, you know, to, to achieve those numbers, you're talking about guys that are playing a lot of games, you know, and starting for four years for the most part. <clears throat> and um, it's an impressive career that, Anthony, you know, most Maryland basketball fans are not going to think of Anthony Cowan when he finishes here as one of Maryland's all-time greats. You're not going to think of him that way, but he's going to be up there numbers-wise. Uh, he's going to be up there wins-wise, too, because they've won a lot of games uh, over four years with Anthony Cowan. But, of course... The key will be to somehow advance uh, in March. And here's Maryland's dangerous, okay? They've got two exceptional players in Anthony Cowan and Jalen Stick-Smith. Smith last night, 18 points, 14 rebounds, and five block shots. The key to this game, or certainly one of the keys to the game, is that the best player on Iowa, Luca Garza, who is a local from the Murray School here locally, played for Chuck Drizel at the Murray School, lefty son, um, Luca Garza, who is very much a front runner for Big Ten Player of the Year. He's 6'11, he's 260 pounds. He's legit. He's the real deal. He's got terrific hands, great feet, and he's got multiple low, low post moves. He's got a jump hook, he's got a fadeaway, he's got an up and um, under, and he can also stretch you out to the three point line. He was two for five from behind the arc. The key to the game last night is he got in early foul trouble and pretty much stayed in foul trouble much of the night. Only played 24 minutes in the game out of 40. Still finished incredibly with 21 points and four rebounds in the game. But he was really never into a rhythm in the game because he was on the bench for so much of it. And that really helped Maryland last night. I'm not suggesting that Iowa would have won the game 
had Garza not gotten in foul trouble. But it was certainly one of the key elements to the game last night. Uh, on the flip side, you know, Maryland won by 10, essentially going away, and they could have scored a lot more and won by a lot more if Aaron Wiggins had knocked down, you know, more than two for nine from behind the arc. All of the looks he had, wide open, nowhere near being contested, and he just didn't shoot it well last night. Finished two for nine, five for 18 overall. If Wiggins has just a bad night instead of a really bad night shooting the ball, Maryland probably wins that game by 15 to 20 uh, over Iowa. Again, a team that destroyed them in Maryland's worst effort of the season just three weeks ago in Iowa City. It speaks to how much of a home court league this this uh, home court Uh, league the Big Ten is, you know, home teams winning much more um, than road teams, great venues, really good teams, well coached, Um, Maryland more comfortable last night in front of students for the first time this year, and that makes a difference, you know, Aaron and I know this, you know, as as alum and as fans and have been two guys that have attended a lot of Maryland basketball games over the years, there is a difference with the students back. Uh, there's an atmosphere difference. I mean, you can get a great atmosphere in early January for a big game. You know, you can get a sellout crowd for for an early January game without the students being there. But when the students are back and that 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 building is buzzing an hour before tip off, uh, it is a very difficult road environment for a team coming in to College Park. And it was that last night. From what I understand, I did not go to the game. Yeah, the crowd was grabbing. I mean, it was just one of those games where. There wasn't really that moment that, that really that 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 got the crowd into a frenzy, and yeah. I'm just waiting for that because I feel like the freshmen and sophomores haven't had that game yet, and you need that game to realize, oh, this is what a Maryland basketball environment, and then you try to replicate it. Yeah. So I'm I'm waiting for that moment, and when it does, I, I think that's going to be a real big thing for Maryland. You know, that's a really good observation um, about what you just said because it is. Um, Every, you know, every year you have a new group of students coming in, you know, and if you go a year or two, now they had some big games last year, but if you go a year or two, all of a sudden the students that have been there for the massive games, the games that really had an atmosphere that's off the charts. I'm talking at times Maryland can be top five in the country in terms of the atmosphere for a college basketball game. Those new students have to actually feel it and learn what it really is. Like, last night's good, but we both know what really good Mm -hmm. can be. And there are going to be some opportunities for this. You know, you've got a game against Rutgers, and people will say, oh, it's Rutgers. I hope everybody shows up. Rutgers is really good. They're ranked, and they're really good. They have have a home game against Michigan State left. They have a home game against Michigan left. Um, They also have home games against Nebraska and Northwestern, but... Um, you know, the two games against Michigan State, the two games against Rutgers, and the game next Friday night at Illinois are going to tell the tale in terms of the Big Ten title regular season. That you know, at Illinois game is suddenly Could huge. be for first place. Yeah. Could be for first place. Um, I, uh, I was impressed with Maryland last night on a lot of fronts. Uh, obviously, they have players, um, and Cowan and Sticksmith really put it together. They defended really well during a stretch of the second half where they really sort of extended the lead, um, and that was without Garza in the game. Uh, I, I still think Maryland's zone offense, you know, a couple of the areas uh, that I've been critical of, of them in the past, 
Uh, I think their zone offense is inconsistent, even though they've got playmakers who can make plays. They got down to the end of that shot clock multiple times last night, you know, relying on Cowan or in some cases Morcell, you know, to make a play. Um, I don't think personally for me against, you know, a, a zone like I would played much of the night. I don't think the ball moves enough. I don't think it reverses enough. Um, I don't think the ball gets to the middle enough. Um, I know what he's trying to do. They try to screen the zone a lot and get their players into the gaps and get them into the, 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 the meat of the zone. But there's a lot of weave going on against the zone, which is utterly um, useless other than, you know, getting your, your players to touch the ball. But you're not doing anything defensively to a zone. Um, but uh, they, you know, they screened it at times, and they got, you know, into into some really good advantageous situations. But I think even Turge would say at times their zone offense can be inconsistent, and and sometimes even a bit unconventional in terms of the way they attack it. I think their press break and their press offense. Um, is very inconsistent. We saw that at the end of the Wisconsin game when they couldn't get the ball in bounds. We saw it a little bit last night. You know, you cannot um, against zone uh, against press or half court trap. You can't dribble the ball across half court. You know, where you've got the sideline and the half court line as additional defenders. Everybody knows that. And Ayala dribbled right into that area, picked up the ball, got trapped, and turned it over. I mean, you learn that at eight, nine years old, you know, in youth basketball, where, you know, where the spots on the floor against pressure are where you can't go and pick up your dribble. Ball's got to stay in the middle of the floor. It's got to be passed um, from the backcourt into the front court if it's not dribbled into the middle portion of the floor. Now, Anthony Cowan erases a lot of stuff because he's so good and he's so hard to stay in front of, and he can dribble through a press. A lot of you that really know basketball and coach it and have been around it, you know the guys and you watch the teams that don't really set up to handle the press the right way and to attack it the right way, but they have this exceptional ball handler, super quick, super fast, and he sort of erases you know, all of the you know, lack of structure. Um, and, 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 and there's nothing you can do about it at times. But Maryland really does at times with their press offense struggle. Um, there's a lot of dribbling more often than not, less passing. With that said, I think they're always exceptionally well coached on the defensive end. I think they run pretty good man offense most of the time. And this is a team where they've got some playmakers with Anthony Cowan being number one and Stick Smith being number two. And Wiggins can make plays and Ayala can make plays. And I, here's the thing about all those guys. I don't want them to stop shooting the shots they took last night. You know, Wiggins keep firing up those threes. I don't care if he's one for 15. If I'm the coach, I say to him, that's every every single shot you took was a good shot for us. Don't stop shooting. Uh, same way I feel about Sticks and Ayala. I think Ayala's not aggressive enough looking for uh, his shot. He passed on a couple of open shots against the zone. Um but their uh, Morcell's defense was so good last night. He really had a bounce back game. But there they are, you know, for all the criticism from so many of you. They're 17 and 4, 7 and 3 in the best conference in America. They're going to the tournament. They're going to be a fairly high seed in the tournament. And really what we're playing these last 10 regular season games for are a Big 10 title. You know, and and with it, you know, a a very high seed in the NCAA tournament. That's what they're playing for. They got 10 games. They're in the hunt for a Big Ten title. Michigan State's very good. Illinois is, I've watched them enough. They're good. Now, Illinois had a schedule, Aaron, that has been beneficial to them. You know, and now they've got, um, they got to go on the road at Iowa. 
you know, they got to play us in Michigan State back to back. They still have to go to Rutgers and Penn State, you know. Um, but they still also, if you look at Illinois, they still have Nebraska and Northwestern, um, you know, on their schedule, as does Maryland. Maryland's still got both of those teams left, um, but it's going to be quite a race. But, you know, at this point, could things go terribly wrong? And they end up, you know, 500 in the league, and they only go three and seven or four and six in the back half, and barely above 500. That, of course. But I'm going to tell you right now, teams with losing records in the Big Ten this year are getting into the NCAA tournament. So Maryland's a lock to be in the tournament, a lock. Now the issue is whether or not they're a four seed or a two or one, uh, you know, or a one, two, or you know, a four or five seed, or potentially a one, a one two, or three. You can be a one. I mean, you absolutely can, could be a one. But you win th- this league and you go. Let's just say they're seven and three, and let's say they put together an eight and two second half, and they're fifteen and five in this league. I just think that there's, you know, there's going to be... You know where their schedule is right now? No, I I understand the theory behind it. I just think that right now you have a situation where San Diego State could be undefeated, Gonzaga could be a one-loss team, Dayton could be a one- or two-loss team, and those could take up three of the one-seeds right there. A lot of basketball left, and all it's going to take for those teams are to lose one or two games, and they're going to drop like a rock. Exactly. Um, so I, you know, I haven't looked at the. I'm pulling up the latest net rankings after last night. Maryland right now is twelfth. Um, in the net rankings, which is what the NCAA tournament uses. Uh, They're 12th overall. um, And obviously with their schedule the rest of the way, they've got an opportunity to move significantly. So right now, based on net rankings, they'd be a three seed. Yes. Um, You know, on the back half of the three seed uh, line um, right now. Uh, A lot of basketball to go. God, looking at these net rankings, Aaron, just the Big Ten, Michigan State seven, mm-hmm. Maryland's twelve, Ohio State still with a losing record in the Big Ten is seventeen, Rutgers is eighteen, Iowa is twenty one, Penn State's twenty three, Illinois's twenty nine, Wisconsin's thirty one, Michigan's thirty five, Purdue's thirty seven. That's ten teams in the top forty, and then Minnesota and Indiana and forty five and forty six. That's 12 teams in the top 50 of the net. Yeah. But if you're in the top 40 in the net, pretty much, you know, uh, close to a lock for the tournament. Um, Yeah, I mean, the Big Ten's going to get between 9 and 11 teams. I mean, uh, some of these teams are going to lose enough that are on that, you know, that Indiana-Minnesota thing. Um, where they might lose and and fall and fall out of that. Lenardi's latest bracketology from two days ago has twelve Big Ten teams in the field. Twelve, and the next best conference in bracketology, um, which he put out on. Oh wait a minute, it's updated this morning. He just put out a new one, and the new one as of this morning has twelve Big Ten teams. Where does he have Maryland seated? He had him as a four the other day. Still got him as a four. He still has Maryland as a four, but he's got 12 Big Ten teams. After that, the next best is five teams, the SEC, the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the Big East. The ACC only has four. Can you imagine the Big Ten with three times as many teams in the field as the ACC? Say we moved to a basketball conference. I guess we did. I guess we did. Good win for them. Big games coming up, though. Um, Next thing I wanted to get to before we get to a lot of the Super Bowl talk today um, is Bradley Beal being snubbed from the All-Star game. 
Uh, if you didn't follow this, and a lot of you couldn't give a shit about the Wizards right now, first of all, they won a game last night. Uh, they beat Charlotte 121 to 107. So at least they didn't give up 150 last night. But Charlotte is the lowest scoring team in the NBA. Okay. And they had lost eight out of nine coming in. So the Wizards get a win over Charlotte. But the real story last night was Bradley Beal snubbed from the All Star game. Um, it was the reserves that got picked. The coaches picked the reserves. All right. The fans, media, um, and players pick the starting five, you know, through vote. And then the uh, coaches pick the seven reserves to go with the five starters on each team. And Bradley Beal became the first player in 41 NBA seasons, 41 NBA seasons to, to be averaging over 28 points a game and not get into the All-Star game. He was snubbed. He deserves to be in the All-Star game. He's having an All-Star season. He is. Um, with that said, you know, I personally don't really care. And I don't know how many people really do. I, I got a lot of tweets from some of you. All right, I did. I got a lot of tweets from you saying, are you going to talk about this? But for the most part, the Wizards right now in this city in terms of, of a sports conversation... Who cares? They stink. It's the reason he's not in the game. Because Devin Booker also has had an all-star year. He's he's averaging 27.5 points per game for Phoenix. And they're terrible on defense. And they're they're seven games under 500. And he should be in the game too, but he isn't. Bradley Beal's on a bad team. And that's why he's not an all-star. Is he putting together an all-star season? Did he deserve to get picked? I think he did. I think he did. So... After that news came out, I saw a headline on ESPN.com that said Bradley Beal, quote, disrespected by snubbing an All-Star game. And I was like, God, I hope he didn't go off. I hope he didn't bitch and moan about not being in the All-Star you know, game. The team stinks. Their defense is horrendous. Um, and you know, to me, it just would be more about him than about the team. And then I listened last night to Chris Miller's interview with Bradley Beal, um, where I think the headline came from. And so context is everything. And I listened to that interview and I want you to listen to it as well. It's just over a minute. Um, but I actually think Bradley Beal, while he does mention disrespectful, he does mention that he's pissed. I also heard some things in there that I liked from him. Uh, here was Bradley Beal last night with NBC Sports Washington's Chris Miller on the All-Star uh, snubbing. You got the news before the game that you would not be going to the All-Star game, and yet you were a rebound and assist away from a triple-double. Just give me the range of emotions you've been dealing with today. Uh, first place, my love, Savior Jesus Christ. I'm a little pissed off about it, but I know how I am. I was kind of expecting it, honestly. It's disrespectful, but the real ones know, so I'm going to just keep competing. I'm going to try to get my team in the playoffs, for sure. Obviously, it was a little bit of tension there with you and Bridges, but then at the end, he came over and showed you respect. The players know what you have contributed to this league, and, and really, is that the most important thing for you? Man, at the end of the day, I play for God, man. I don't play for anybody else's approval. You know, I come out and compete because with these guys giving the talents and abilities, I wouldn't be on this floor. You know, so I'm just thankful that I'm out here. I can compete, be healthy. Uh, All-Star break, I'm enjoying my time with my sons, my wife, and, uh, and kickback, man. 
congratulations to everybody that made it. Everybody's more than deserving. All the first-time guys, enjoy it. Jason, my little brother, I'm happy you made it. Uh, but I am a little pissed off about it. I know you a lot, and I know what's going to happen into the second half. This is fueling the motivation already, hasn't it? A little bit. I can show you better than I can tell you. Appreciate the time, Brad. I love that at the end. Um, he's going to show you rather than tell you. I like that. Um, just so you know, if you if you haven't listened to a lot of Bradley Beal um, over the years, he is very religious, and there's always, before any answer in any interview, he thanks his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's it's the way he starts every single post-game interview. Interview any interview every, every scrum yeah um, every every single scrum too every single you know media you know gathering uh, that, uh, that that Aaron goes to a lot so um, he did mention disrespectful and he's pissed it's fine but he also said I'm gonna try to get my team to the playoffs and I thought playoffs are you serious and then I looked at the standings they're only four and a half games out in a terrible Eastern Conference. Yeah. You know, with a terrible defensive team. I mean, just one of the worst defensive teams we've seen in recent NBA history. You know, I like Beal. Uh, sometimes he drives me nuts wall two with the way he plays in sort of a casual way. I think it leads to turnovers and wasted possessions over the years. And he's not a great closer, as we've seen over the years. You know, but he and John both at the end of games trying to take big shots. But I do... There's something about him that I like. First of all, I think he's really bright and thoughtful. You know, I've seen longer interviews with him. He's developed into an elite NBA scorer. There's no way to really debate that. He's sixth right now in the NBA uh, in scoring. Um, He's having a career year, obviously, uh, at 28.7 points per game is what he's averaging right now. Um you know, he's got a field goal percentage, you know, rough, roughly 46%. Um, you know, nobody is defending this year. Beal's always had the capability of defending like Wall. It's never been consistent. Um, there's something about him, though, that I've always sort of liked personally. I think he's one of these guys, uh, and I don't know that I feel that way about John Wall, but <clears throat> I think he's really competitive, but I, I think he's also self-aware. I remember they played Toronto in the postseason in that second year they were in the playoffs with Wall and Beal. First year they beat Chicago and then lost to Indiana. And then in the second season with Randy Whitman, they swept Toronto in the first round before losing to Atlanta in the Eastern Conference semifinals in a series that they really should have won, but John got hurt, if you recall. Um, That was the team with Paul Pierce. First year they had Ariza, second year Pierce was sort of the third guy with Wall and Beal. Nene, Gortat, all of those guys on the team as well. And um, they had won game one in Toronto. And game two... Um, they went into Toronto, and usually in game twos, when you steal a game on game one, the home team is desperate, and you feel like you've already achieved what you wanted to achieve. And uh, Toronto took a lead in that game, and they started running their mouth a lot uh, and got very physical and chippy with the Wizards. And Beal went on a run to basically um, take a big lead at halftime. And I'll never forget the interview, and I went and looked this up. I couldn't find the sound, but I found the quote. Uh, Chris Miller grabs him as they're, uh, as as he's coming off the court at, at the break at the end of the second quarter. 
And Miller asked him something about, you know, the chippiness and they're trying to really get physical with you. And Beal had just, you know, answered with a big second quarter and the Wizards had the halftime lead. And he said, quote, they think that we're some, they think that we're some punks. They think they can push us around, but we're not rolling. And he walked off the floor and he came back and they kicked Toronto's ass in the second half and won the game by 11 going away, swept them in Toronto in the first two games, swept them in the series. And I remember thinking, you know, Beal, maybe he doesn't hit every last-second shot that you'd want, but he's come up bigger in playoff games than John Wall has more often. You know, there's something to him. You know, I still think sometimes he's sloppy as a ball handler. He can be. Man, is he? I think that his free-throw shooting percentage – um, I've always felt this about him uh, in recent years. Should have been higher in this year. He's finally shooting it at 85%. I think his mother helped him with that. I'm being serious. I had I had Scott Brooks on the show once last year, and I said, Beal's free throw shooting stroke is too flat. And he just laughed at me, and he said, well, you're, 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 you're perceptive. That's what his mother thinks too. And his mother was a very good player. And we've he's been listening to his mother, and he's going to listen to his mother. And the arc's gotten a little bit better this year, little not not as flat a shot. And he's shooting eighty five percent from the free throw line this year, you know ninety percent plus in his last several games. So Beal is, um, I, I was glad to hear that rather than just read the disrespect because I think the context to it was a guy that was pissed, that was upset, but wasn't making it all about him. Uh, his agent tried to do that. His agent had the following quote. Uh, Mark um, Bartlestein uh, is his agent. Quote, it's just wrong. I think the coaches have sent a horrible message. He could have made the choice to be a bandwagon jumper and just go on and join a higher level team, and he would have been guaranteed in the All-Star game, but he didn't want to do that. He wanted to be loyal to his organization, and the coaches in the NBA are holding it against Brad that he was loyal to his organization, closed quote. It's a stupid thing to say. First of all, it's not true, okay? The coaches didn't vote Bradley Beal, uh, didn't snub Bradley Beal because Beal wanted to be loyal to a bad team and 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 a struggling organization right now. It's not why, okay? The team is struggling. The reason that he's not in is probably because of the team's record and the, and the team's terrible defensively, and he hasn't been great defensively. But it's not – they didn't snub him because he chose to be loyal to the Wizards. That's stupid. And the other thing the agent said is, you know, to, to be a bandwagon jumper and go on and join a higher-level team, first of all, it's a dig at the Wizards, justifiable. But it's also, you know, suggesting that players are super selfish – and that the All-Star game means more to them. You know, he could have made the choice to be a bandwagon jumper so he could have gotten into the All-Star game. But he didn't do that. Who gives a shit about the All-Star game? Did you see, just as a, a, a secondary uh, you know, uh, add-on to, to, to NBA basketball, did you see the format change for the NBA yeah, All-Star game? Yeah, that was really weird. What in God's name are they doing? So the, the NBA All-Star format... Um, has a completely different uh, different format uh, for this year. They're changing the entire structure of the basketball game. Now, they still have the two, two team captains, and they're going to pick their teams, and that's fine. 
You know, like that kind of thing in terms of, you know, uh, dividing the sides up and, you know, if you wanted to go international versus U.S., those things don't bother me. But listen to what they're doing for the All-Star game this year, which I couldn't care less about, but I I just don't know why they care so much. Um, First of all, the teams are going to compete to win each of the first three quarters. All of the quarters are going to start with a score of nothing to nothing. So the first three quarters are going to be 12 minutes, and they're going to be individual games, three individual games, all right? And then at the start of the fourth quarter, are you following that so far? That's pretty easy to follow. Yes. Okay? First three quarters, nothing, nothing at the beginning of each quarter. The winner of each quarter, just so everybody knows, gets to um, gets uh, $100,000 to donate it to a charity of their choice. So you have... Three-quarter winners, so $300,000 gets do- donated to charity uh, for the winners of those three the three quarters. Stupid. Nothing, nothing at the beginning of the quarter. Like, we really care about what the score is or that they're not playing that hard in the first three quarters of the game. But here's the best part of it. At the start of the fourth quarter, the game clock will be turned off and a final target score will be set. The final target score will be will be determined by taking the leading team's total cumulative score through three quarters and adding 24 points, the 24 representing the late Kobe Bryant's uniform number. Once the final target score is set, the teams will play an untimed fourth quarter, and the first team to reach the final target score will win the NBA All-Star game. And then they give an example, because you know what? They needed to give an example. It's pretty hard for most people to follow. After you're playing nothing-nothing to start the first three quarters and playing the first three quarters as an individual individual games um, uh, unto themselves, you're going to have a three-quarter score. They're going to add it all up from the first three quarters and give it to you at the beginning of the fourth quarter. And so if Team A is up 100 to 95, if you add 24 to Team A's score, then their target is 124. If you add 24 to the team with 95 points, okay, um, see, I'm even confused. Hold on. So if the cumulative score of the first three quarters is 195, the final target score would be set at 124 points. Okay, so now it's the first team to get to 124. All right. So to win the NBA All-Star game, the team that had 100 needs to score 24, and the team that had 95 needs to score 29 first. They need to get there first. Oh, my God. Just dumb. It, it's dumb, but this is also interesting because I, obviously the thing is for Kobe, but that's also a variation of this thing called the Elam ending, which someone had. Basically, people said were getting tired, especially in college basketball, of the last two minutes just being foul, 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 foul. Right. So this guy came up with – it's pretty simple, but it's the Elam ending, and basically with uh, – at the in, in his situation – What's the word you're, you're Elam, saying? Elam. It was this guy, this professor from oh, Ball State University. Oh, it's his name. Yes, Nick Elam. Okay. The first stoppage after the four-minute – you know, after the under four timeout, basically, once they go to the under four timeout, this was specifically for college basketball. At that point, you would turn off the clock, you would add seven points to the leading team score, and that would become the target score. Oh, my God. Because peop- at that time, this was like three years ago, people were heavily complaining about the end of games in college basketball. Let, let, me, let me just say this. This doesn't need to be this complicated. There are two goals, I would assume, for this year's All-Star game. 
Number one is to honor Kobe, Kobe Bryant. Yes. And number two is to create a more interesting game that isn't that interesting for many. Okay? So the first goal, honoring Kobe Bryant, you can do that without changing the general competitive yes. structure of a normal basketball Have game. Have them wear 24-8. and eight. 24 and 8, the East team wears 24. Kobe's, uh, Kobe. Le- LeBron's team wears 24s, and the Greek Freaks team wears number 8. Okay? In terms of making the game more interesting, I'm, I'm not sure you can. You know, you have all the gimmicks of All Star Weekend the night before. The All Stars become All Stars playing basketball. You know, the game of basketball is played with a scoreboard, a clock, five players on the court. Dribbling, passing, shooting, rebounding, etc. If you don't like that the players play no defense, you know, and take ridiculous shots in the All Star game, and don't try on defense, and then they try to make the spectacular player, the fancy play, too often, I don't know what to tell you. Then All Star games aren't for you. You know, the NFL Pro Bowl is much worse. The players have zero interest in being there in many cases. They don't even tackle in this game. The game's refereed in a completely different way. You can say that the NBA All-Star game isn't treated by the players as a competition You know, for much of the game. That's probably true, but who said that you want a competition? It's an exhibition. It's not a competition. Yeah, you want always a comp- has been, always will be. If you want a competition, give money to the winner. I just, you know, playing to win quarters, but at the same time keeping a cumulative score. Imagine, by the way, what the scoreboard chirons on ABC are going to look like. Is the game on ABC or TNT? I don't even know. Imagine what that's going to look like in the fourth quarter. The level of effort by all of these leagues, you know, the NHL, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, to make their all-star games more appealing is it's laudable, it's praiseworthy, you know, nothing wrong with trying to make something better, racking the creative part of your brain to come up with, you know, the idea that turns the game into a can't-miss event. I just don't think these all-star games are ever going to be a can't-miss event for anybody. You know, I just don't see that. I, I I see it for what what it is. The gimmick stuff, the fun stuff is the night before. These guys are all-stars for playing basketball. Don't turn it into something that it isn't. You know, it's just not that interesting for most people. I love the athleticism. Uh, you know, I, I like some of the, you know, the pull-ups just o- inside half court, and then I turn it off after a quarter. I don't care that it's not competitive. I, I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, they're trying too hard, bottom line. All right, uh, we'll get to the Super Bowl here in a moment, uh, and actually uh, some Redskins stuff too before we get to the Super Bowl. But um, if you want to bet the Super Bowl this weekend uh, and you don't have a place to bet it, Seriously, I promise you, MyBookie.ag is reliable. It's a place you can go to for the most complete lineup of Super Bowl prop bets of any sports book in the business. The amount of betting options for this game simply unrivaled. You can visit MyBookie.ag slash party right now to access a printable prop sheet for the big game. You know, football's not your thing, Super Bowl's not your thing, but you want to bet the NBA or the or the NHL or college hoops, that's available. They've got quality lines, plenty of ways to bet, and they're reliable. And right now, if you deposit, uh, make a deposit at mybookie.ag, they will match your deposit halfway if you use my promo code, KevinDC. That's basically free cash to throw down on your best bet. This will be the last chance to take advantage of it, so sign up now. Enter promo code KevinDC. When you make your deposit, use KevinDC, and you'll get an increased bankroll to get you jump-started. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. 
All right, before we get to smell test, prop bets, Super Bowl picks, uh, wanted to play for you um, two sound bites from Ron Rivera's interview with Al Galdi and Doc Walker on the radio station on 980. Um, first part of this is Rivera talking about how they're going to make decisions organizationally, and he brings Mr. Snyder's name into the conversation. Here's what Ron Rivera said. Well, what we're really going to do is, as we go through this process, this process is not just me making decisions or, or, or Kyle making decisions or Rob or anybody else making decisions. This is going to be about a group collaboration. When we start getting ready and we're going to go through this core of guys that we currently have that, are, that, that have been broken down by our coaches, have been put together and discussed as units, we're going to discuss now as, 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 a, as, a, as a staff, okay? And, again, we'll talk about each player. And we'll come to a, a, an agreement as to where we see that player's fit. And then as we start going into free agency and we get to a situation, and let's say we're all in agreement, bam, we go try to get that guy. Okay, let's say there's a little bit of a disagreement about this guy or that guy. Well, then now maybe we, 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 we bring in uh, and we ask Mr. Snyder to get involved, help us with this decision. And we say, well, this guy's going to be $12 million and this guy's going to be 8 you know, and he's going to say, which guy's the best player? Well, the guy at 12 is the best. Well, then let's get him. Well, the guy's at eight's the best. Well, then let's get the guy at eight. You know, that's that's what we're going to do. We're not going to sit there and some guy's going to stomp his foot or anything. No, this is about us making sure we have done the best things for the best uh, for the best decisions for this team. You know, I just personally don't want to hear Mr. Snyder's name mentioned when it comes to football decisions. And I don't know that he knows that yet and knows – sort of the visceral reaction that many of us have, um, having lived through this nightmare for the last 21 years. Um, Or perhaps this is, you know, sort of clever strategy on his part where Joe Gibbs or somebody told him, look, here's the deal. You got to build him up in public. You got to make him feel like he's a part of this thing. You got to make him feel like at times it's his idea. This is what you're dealing with. And an owner, he is... You know, he's not the adult in the room. Uh, He's lost for two decades plus trying every single thing in every single way possible. And more times than not, it's been his fault. Um, You're not going to change him. So what you have to do is you've got to include him, uh, but don't rely on him. Like, make him feel like he's a part of this decision. Make him feel like he's really contributing. um, But don't let him make the final decision. But make him think like he's making the finals. I mean, look at the games that might have you may have to play with this goddamn owner, right? Seriously, I didn't. I heard Mr. Snyder too much during the course of this interview. I am very positive about Ron Rivera. I like him as a coach. I like him as a person. I want him to be a dictator in this organization. I don't want consensus building. I don't want a Redskins grade. I don't want a conversation about how. You know, we're going to get together and we're going to put put a grade together. And if we're, if there's disagreement and it, it keeps going on, then we'll bring Mr. Snyder into the room. I don't want Mr. Snyder in the room. I don't want, want him anywhere near the room. None of you do. Now, again, I'll give him, you know, the benefit of the doubt that he recognizes what we recognize. And that is his hands and fingers need to be far away from the pot. But somehow, if he can make him feel like he's participating and contributing, and that's important, and he's able to do that without having him literally contribute, okay. You know, everybody's got a boss that they sometimes have to make feel like, 
man, that is, that's a great idea that you had. I'm, I'm going to do that after basically you introducing it into their mind. I mean, I like Ron Rivera. I am bullish on him as a football coach. I believe that he is a good football coach. I think he's a disciplinarian. I think he will. He's got a shot to change the culture. I just don't like hearing Mr. Snyder and Mr. Snyder being involved. I don't care at what level. And I'm not naive to to think that he's the owner of the team and he's not going to be involved. There are going to be certain massive decisions. You know, you get, let's say Dwayne Haskins blows up over the next couple of years and Rivera goes to him with Kyle Smith and says, we better get aggressive and sign him to a long-term deal now. I'm not going to suggest that Dan Snyder's not going to be involved in, you know, the kind of contract that you're going to offer to Dwayne Haskins. The, the real big decisions, the big money decisions, or a big decision that may impact sort of public relations or something else. But, you know, Kyle Smith, Tim Gribble, coaching staff, Ron Rivera sitting around having an argument about, you know, who are we going to draft here in the second round? Let's have Mr. Snyder come in and help us out? No. And I, I do think that when you're new to town, you just don't understand what kind of uh, what that kind of talk does and with the kind of reaction that most of us have. You cringe a little bit when you just hear the Mr. Snyder from a man that's older than him. You know, you cringe a little bit understanding that Mr. Snyder is okay with him calling him Mr. Snyder, even though he is older than the owner. Some of you cringe at that. I do. Okay, if, if, if it were me, I'm less formal than that. I would ensure that Ron Rivera called me Kevin if I owned the team. I promise you that, especially if he's older. But anyway, that's a matter of opinion, and that's a matter of you know, your level of what you think is, you know, appropriate. Uh, I don't want Dan Snyder involved in any football decisions. I want a dictatorship. I want Ron Rivera as the one voice, one direction, the lead voice. And if there's a tie, uh, it goes to Ron Rivera. That's what I want. To me, that makes sense in an organization that's been as dysfunctional as this one for so long. Quality guy. Good football coach, disciplinarian, good dude. More times than not, will make the right decision. You know, the right decision in terms of, uh, you know, it being right from a uh, an organizational standpoint, from on the field standpoint, etc. You know, the right decision for the team, the right decision for the organization, the right decision for the community, all of those things. I trust him. I want his voice to be the final voice. I don't want, when it comes to football matters, the owner being the tiebreaker. I would guess that 95% of you feel the same way. Maybe he's just playing along and he understands that and he's just his strategy is to publicly make it seem like Dan's really contributing. I hope that's what it is. He said something else yesterday. Um, he was asked about Dwayne Haskins. Listen to his answer on the quarterback. I want to see him start taking the leadership mantle. You know, it's one of the things that I said in my first press conference. You know, he's got the skill set. He's shown he's got the ability to to be a dynamic player, to be a guy that can win football games in this league. Uh, And, again, I always point back to the the Detroit game, how he handled the last two drives of the game. He had to get in the field goal position, got him down, got in the field goal position, kicked the field goal to tie. Then they got the ball back, got themselves in the field goal position, kicked the field goal to win. Now, of course, I don't want him over there shaking hands, 
I want to make sure he kneels down on that last play. That's the positive there. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I do want to see him to continue to grow, continue to develop. But I do, I do believe that 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 the starting quarterback has to also be part of that leadership core. And and again, you know, I I really do think he's got that. But I also don't want to forget Alex Smith. Here's a guy that's doing everything he can to come back. And if Alex can come back and be the player that he was, you know, we have a good situation. We have competition at that position. And that's what we want to create. We want to create a, a, an atmosphere of competition. We want these guys competing because we want to put the best players on the football field. All right, two things um, from what uh, Ron Rivera told uh, Al and Doc. Um, number one is this need to see Dwayne Haskins, Dwayne Haskins take the leadership mantle. He has said this before. I think this is coming from a place of, you know, he's going to have to prove some things. We're not handing him anything. I like that. Um, I think it's also coming from a place of being legitimately uh, curious as to whether or not he'll be able to pull this off, Haskins. You know, I think this is very important to, to Ron Rivera. Now, practically speaking, Dwayne Haskins is the only quarterback under contract that's healthy right now for next year. He's also uh, a first-round pick, a guy that Rivera had suggested the Panthers had graded as a first-round guy, um, and he improved throughout the end of last year. I loved how he referred to the Detroit game. If you recall, I came in here after that Detroit game with a lot of you telling me how bad Dwayne was and how inaccurate he was and how it was alarming how bad he was, and I sat here and said I was absolutely impressed because of the final two drives of the game. I saw a guy that did struggle at times during that game, 13-29 to 29 for 156 yards through an interception, had a fumble, no offensive touchdowns in the game, and he was overthrowing people and missing people all day long. But uh, he made plays with the game on the line, not, not on one drive, but on two drives. You know, they were down 16-13 with five minutes to go, and he led that scoring drive with a couple of big plays, including a couple of scrambles. Um, that got him into field goal range to tie the game, and then at the end of the game made a big play on third and five where he found Terry McLaurin for a 17-yard completion that put him in winning field goal position. uh, position. With the game on the line, he was 6-for-9 for 79 yards and had a huge scramble for 11 yards. So I like that. He played with an urgency, a competitive level that matched the moment. He played with a ton of confidence. It was the thing that I, I had mentioned going back to the preseason games. He doesn't play scared. He's not afraid. He carries himself like he belongs. You know, and I didn't, I don't, I'm not a box score reader. Most of you know that, that listen to me. I, I, I read box scores. I don't use them as the only way to evaluate what I'm watching. I watch the games. And in that game, it wasn't about his statistical box score. It was about what he did on those final two drives. And I was glad to hear Ron Rivera mention the Detroit game because he had other games that were much more impressive statistically. You know, the game against the Giants, the game against uh, the Eagles, where he really got it going in both of those games. That Detroit game, he put that team on his back on two drives where they needed two scores, and they won. Um. The leadership thing, I, I don't. Where do they go? I mean, he he mentions Alex Smith unsolicited. He did that again, by the way, on first take about a half hour ago. Really? Yes. Again with the Alex Smith. Yes. Really? Look, given what they're going to pay Alex Smith, it would be in the best. It'd be the best result for the organization to have Alex Smith healthy and ready to play in twenty twenty. You know, with what they're paying him, it'd be much better if he were able to play than not play. 
And if he doesn't play well enough to win the job, if he's legitimately healthy enough to compete for the job, what a great backup and mentor like he was with Patrick Mahomes when he was starting when Patrick Mahomes was sitting. We've heard that a lot this week about Patrick Patrick Mahomes crediting, you know, Alex Smith in that first year for being a terrific mentor. Dwayne Haskins has referred to how um, close he and Alex Smith have become and how important Alex Smith has been to him more than anybody else in the building. I just can't believe Alex Smith is going to play next year. But what do we know? Um, we keep hearing from many people out there that, that if anybody can do it, Alex Smith can do it. Um, I think that Dwayne Haskins is going to be the starting quarterback. I want Dwayne Haskins to be the starting quarterback. And I want him to listen to what the head coach is saying. Listen to what people doubted him on early in the season. And part of this is on the team to teach him as a very young player that hasn't started a lot of games, high school, college, and pro. Some of this is going to be on the adults in the room, now that there are some in the room, to teach him what Aaron Rodgers does, what Tom Brady does, what Patrick Mahomes does, what the great ones do, how the great ones need to be committed at a certain level. We heard Scott Turner, I don't know, two weeks ago when he was on that conference call with the uh, with the beat reporters, say that he's got to be the guy that knows the offense better than anybody in the building other than the offensive coordinator, and even as much as the offensive coordinator. He will gain respect, and he will, by respect, become a leader. By the increased respect, become a leader. If he knows this thing every which way to Sunday. He can tell Terry McLaurin, nope, on this one, you're lining up in this position. If he knows that offense and he knows that playbook better than anybody else, I hope he really digs into it. I know it improved significantly. I heard from people that said he was a different guy after he started starting, uh, when he got the starting job against the Bills. And if he really commits to it, and they help him, and they teach him how to how to learn and how to commit and what it's what what it what it's like to be truly professional if you want to be elite at the position in the NFL. I hope he gets after it, man, because I don't want to see Alex Smith start 2020. I don't want to see Brett Hundley or Teddy Bridgewater or Case Keenum in here starting. I want to see Dwayne Haskins in 2020. He's got talent. He's got an edge to him that I like. I want to see him really take ownership of this thing and take you know take Ron Rivera literally and become that leader through a work ethic and through a commitment to understanding what he's doing out there so that he knows it better than anybody else I hope it happens um I I'm I'm optimistic that it will uh all right let's get to some Super Bowl talk what do you say about that um let's get to the smell test first Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for the, the smell test. test. All right, Kansas City's one and a half now. Uh, the total's 54 and a half. Uh, Aaron's going to hit us with some of the prop uh, bets here shortly, and then we will have our final score predictions for the game as well. Um, I don't like this, the, the game itself either way. I think it's really tough, um, this matchup. If I were to play it, and I probably will, but I'm not giving it out as a smell test pick. I would I would probably take San Francisco on the money line, you know, um, because you're getting you know a better money line price, and the odds that it's going to hit on one are just pretty remote. 
Um, so rather than playing the 49ers plus one, I'd probably just play them to win the game on the money line at plus 125 or whatever it is right now. Where is it right now? I don't even know where it is right I, now. I, I think at one and a half, that should be around plus 100 or so. Uh, it's a little bit more than that. Um, I, I did look at it. Uh, here, I'll get it right now. I'm seeing plus 102. Oh, is that all it is? Or it's plus one on this side, so plus 102 if it's plus one. Hold so. on. Let me see what it is on my site. Why did I say plus one? Why? Did I hear somebody say plus 125? Um, money. Plus 125 is what you can get if you bet Patrick Mahomes as MVP. Which, <laughs> by the way, if you're going to bet the Chiefs, what I like. Yeah, uh, yeah plus 107. Yep. All right, so... Whatever. I'd, I'd rather play that plus um, on the money line than play the plus one and, you know, and lose 110 on a loss rather than 100. So anyway, um, but that's not the play. The play is under 54 and a half. The world is on the over in this game. I've mentioned this many times in the past, but um, the public likes overs more than they like unders. And it's a real simple reason. It's just easier to root for an over. It's easier to watch a game and root for scores than to root for stops and the clock to run. When you've got an under in the game, all you're thinking about is the clock running on that play. Is the clock running? Uh, you know, are, are we are we at the pace where we're staying under? Where, where are we on the? It's plus painful. With a, plus, with a guy like Mahomes, you're sweating yeah, you're, the whole time. Every play, every snap could be a score. So it's just easier um, when you bet an over to root for points and root for big plays and root for the game to last longer than it is for an under. Um, the public loves the over in this game. It's at 54.5 now. Still see it at 54 in spots. Uh, the fact that the number has stayed pretty much where it's been for almost five, six days now tells you that they're inviting and they're okay with all of the action on the over. Um, I like the under. Uh, the smell test hasn't been great this year. I understand that. Um, it's uh, 14 years of the smell test, and this will be the fourth losing season opposite 10 winning seasons. But I've got one more loser for you, if you will. Uh, I like the under. I'm giving the under 54 and a half out for the Super Bowl as the official smell test play. All right. Um, give me some of the prop bets that are out there that, that you find interesting. Um, I mean, there's obviously we can go through some of the player props real quick here. Uh, the passing yards is 308.5 for Mahomes, 239.5 for Jimmy G. Like That's a high this. number for Jimmy G Yeah, in this game because of what he's done in the first two playoff games, right? Oh, yeah. All the money's I mean, on the under right now. I would think it would be. I'm actually interested in the over there a little bit. I, that, I would have guessed Jimmy G's number on passing yards after – Let's go through this here. He threw for a buck 31 in the Minnesota game, and he threw for, it was under 177 yards in the Green Bay game. And you're telling me his over-under on passing yards is two what? 39 and a half. They're getting pounded on the under. Yeah. Has that has that number come down or moved? Uh, it, it dep- I haven't really tracked it. I think it's moved very slightly, but... Um... I think I saw I, I got an email from FanDuel saying I think it was seventy eight percent of the money is on the under right now. I um I would definitely lean over there. And just so you know, Garoppolo's totally capable. Oh yeah. You know, if not for his performance throwing the football at the end of the Rams game, uh, which was in the next to last week of the season, and against the 49ers where he went eighteen of twenty two for two hundred and eighty five yards. Um, in the final regular season game of the year, which pretty much, well, did. It locked in the one seed versus having to play wild card weekend and playing three games on the road. 
Um, he was brilliant in that game. Uh, you know, and I could see, look, the Chiefs defense to me is just okay. And with all of the emphasis, Aaron, the Chiefs will place on stopping the run, you know, where you may have 9-10 in the box, it might be Garoppolo mm-hmm. beating them with his arm. I like the over there. What else you got? Uh, one that I actually like is uh, Patrick Mahomes' rush yards, which is it's moved a little bit, but it's uh, usually around 30 and a half or around 30. I actually really like the over on that one. Well, he's rushed for over 50 in the two playoff games, yeah. right? Um, he was, he, he, I think he's the first quarterback to advance to the Super Bowl after leading his team in rushing in the two playoff games preceding the Super Bowl. Um, and it's 30. Uh, yeah. I would think people would be playing the over on that. I, I've seen both. Some people just, be, you know, are kind of betting with the 49ers and putting a lot of the unders on the Chiefs props. He but. rushed. He rushed for 53 yards in the AFC Championship game, and in the divisional round game, he rushed for 53 yards. 53 in back-to-back games. The final, t- uh, the, the two playoff games. Um, San Francisco's defense is a different, you know, is a different challenge for Kansas City. All right, what's your next one? I, I I wouldn't touch that personally. You know, kind of going with the Jimmy G talk, I kind of want to talk about Super Bowl MVP here. And depending on where you get it, you can obviously Mahomes is the favorite anywhere from even money to plus 125 in that range. And that's actually one of my big plays. I got it at plus 130 for Mahomes just because I figure if, if the Chiefs win, Mahomes is going to be MVP. So if you think the Chiefs are going to win, just play Mahomes. Well, are you saying are you saying do that in lieu of betting the Chiefs laying one and a half? Yep. Really? Yeah. Hold on for a second. That's an interesting strategy right there. All right. Uh, Mahomes is plus 130 to win the MVP. And let's face it, if the Chiefs win this Super Bowl, it would certainly seem logical and seem probable that Mahomes would be a big part of that and as the quarterback would then take home the MVP. Mm-hmm. So instead of playing the Chiefs and laying the point and a half or betting them on the money line at minus what? 120? Where are they Around, on the money line? Yeah, about 120. Um you can get them at you can get Mahomes at plus 130. It just would sh- suck. It would really <laughs> suck if Tyreek Hill has or Travis Kelsey has nine catches and three touchdowns for 195 yes. yards and they win going away but Kelsey's the yes, star. It, it that would, would that would suck. It would suck, but if you really like the Chiefs. Yes. You know what I would recommend just play the Chiefs if you really <laughs> like the Chiefs. I like that. And like play Mahomes too. Yeah, I was going to say or you can just do both as well. I wouldn't do one in lieu of the other. Um, the, the other interesting thing about this, though, and the reason I'm bringing it up and going back to the Jimmy G talk. So, you know, it's always the almost always the quarterback. I think it was nine of the past 12 times it's been a quarterback for MVP. Jimmy G is plus 350. Last year it was Edelman, right? Yeah, it was Edelman last time. <coughs> and it can happen. Von Miller was an MVP. Yes. Right. Wasn't he the, the MVP of that, that Denver Super Bowl? I think Bowl? so, yeah. That, yeah. Okay. So it, it does happen here and there, but in general it's the quarterback. And in general, quarterbacks are anywhere from even money to about plus What's 200. Garoppolo? Plus 350 on some yeah. sites. Well, because I think people think oh. if the 49ers win the game, it's going to be with another rushing attack Rushing day. attack or defense or, you know, he'll have. But here's the thing. It's so spread out that I, I don't think it's going to be another Mostert four touchdown game. And if it's like there isn't one dominant player and let's say Jimmy G does have a decent, let's say it is 250 and two touchdowns, that would be the default. At plus three fifty, oh, it's, not, it's worth it. Look, anytime you can get a, like you said, if you if you're playing a quarterback in the Super Bowl at plus three fifty, yeah. you know th- there is th- that's unusual. What 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 what's the range typically up to plus two hundred? Two hundred, yeah. 
maybe yeah, I mean, a little more. Last fair. year, you know, Goff and Brady had to be even, le- you know, much less than plus yes. two hundred. Um, the year before that, Foles, who did win the MVP, was probably a bit of a long shot to win the MVP. Ma- maybe maybe a, probably around two hundred or so, maybe a little above it. Certainly not plus three fifty. Right. Um, anybody you like for MVP? Any long shots or anything? Well, I mean, it's the first time I've actually thought about the conversation um, now that you've thrown out the whole <laughs> Patrick Mahomes instead of playing the Chiefs, which is really interesting. It's an interesting strategy. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, with the 49ers, you could obviously have a a running back like Mostert do what Mostert he did in the NFC Championship game, you know, and you could have that. Um, you could certainly have a, 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 a if they were to really slow down and stop Mahomes and the Chiefs, and they win the game with defense. You could have a, a Nick Bosa. What's Bosa? Bosa is sixteen to one. Okay. Um, clearly, you could have a Tyree Kill or a Travis Kelsey. Well, what's Damian? What's Williams? Damian Williams fourteen to one. Um. You know, because you always have to think about running backs too. You know, I. Uh, in, it's just so hard to see if the Chiefs win it that it would go to a running back. Like even if the running back. Kevin Coleman's stats, injured, right? He's not playing. Uh, that we, I don't think he's officially out, but yes. Kittle, <clears throat> what's Kittle? Kittle is fourteen to one. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, Mahomes right now <laughs> would be. I mean, so far, right? I mean, yeah. wh- who's ne- who's second after Mahomes? Garoppolo. Yeah. At yeah. plus three fifty, and Mahomes plus is plus one thirty. Yeah, or actually, on, on this book, it would be plus one hundred and plus three fifty. So it just depends where you <clears throat> find it. Right. All right. What else you got? All right. I wanted to go to there, there's one that's really interesting, and it's one of these goofy that you only see during the Super Bowl, and it's that Gatorade prop. Something interesting happened this week. The crazy line movement in this one, and the the reason is interesting. So in this, we we have you know different types of what color liquid. There's red, pink, F1. and this is for what the Gatorade the bath Gatorade. that Andy Reid and or, or whoever Kyle wins Shanahan gets. The, the Gatorade. And we're the looking at we're looking coach. at the flavor, the color, the color. So the the categories oh are God. red slash seriously pink, yes, lime green, yellow, clear, orange, blue, and purple. The re- only reason I bring this up. Purple started at plus fourteen hundred. Is it Gatorade or is it is are those the drinks being used by NFL it's, on Sunday? It's the the prop is that color of liquid poured. Okay. So yes, Gatorade. Uh, purple <clears throat> started at fourteen to one. Purple is now the favorite at plus one ten. Well, that must mean that they. Uh, well, if if it went from fourteen to one to plus one ten, somebody knows that one of the two teams has purple Gatorade on the sideline. That's purple, possible. Purple Here's the drink. other thing. And I think this might be a misdirect and means that if you t- want to bet this for whatever reason, you could get value on something else. There was something going around about should these teams use purple Gatorade to honor Kobe? Oh, well, that – okay. That that makes some sense. Yeah. So now I don't know I mean, know I, they you would, know, I, I think it makes sense. I, was, I mean, I was going to say – makes sense more than anything else. I was going to say, that's the reason why the line would move. If you're honoring Kobe, would you really honor Kobe with Gatorade? Yeah, I don't know. So that's one of the things, like, all of a sudden, again, I'm not playing it because I'm not crazy. I'm not betting on Gatorade. But if you are that kind of person, I might go with, like, a. I think the favorite was green or yellow before, now at plus 400. Look there, maybe. All right, give me the next one. All right, I want to do these two because they are uh, D.C. sports related in these cross-sport props. So we have, uh, where was this? Okay, 
So Penguins and Capitals play that afternoon, early that right. afternoon. First of four games between the two yeah. teams. Total goals and Penguins versus Caps versus George Kittle receptions. Say that again. Total go- goals scored in that game, Penguins-Caps. Typical over-under in hockey is like seven. Versus George Kittle receptions. Uh, where where is the, where is the Kittle receptions number right now? Six and a half, Six seven? Six and a half, yeah. Yeah, so they're they're both right around the same. Um, I will go, based on what you told me about the Garoppolo passing yardage number, I'll go over, I'll go Kittle. Yeah. I'll go Kittle in that spot. And another uh, DC one? <laughs> Georgetown plays St. John's. So Georgetown St. John's total points minus ten and a half versus Kittle and Kelsey total receiving yards. Plus ten and a half. Hold on. Again. Georgetown, the this final score, the total points between Georgetown and St. John's, minus ten and a half versus Kittle and Kelsey receiving yards combined. Okay, so you're talking about you know, uh, Georgetown's playing St. John's. Um, you're probably talking about a total of one forty five. And we're talking about combined yardage of what? Kittle and Kelsey. K- Kittle and Kelsey. And the basketball is laying 10 and a half on that? Yes. Uh, I'll go Kittle and Kelsey plus the 10 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> this is ridiculous. Oh, of course it's ridiculous. Yeah. But that, I, that's yeah. why I like the product. Uh, jersey number to score the first touchdown over under 26 and a half. Oh, well, so I did see some prop bets on that, breaking it down between like 0 to 10, mm-hmm. 11 to 20, and 11 to 20 was the favorite. So you're saying the over-under is 26 and, 26 a, half and a half on the jersey number to score the first touchdown. You're getting plus 120 if you take the over. Oh, definitely taking the you got to take the under because Tyreek Hill wears number 10 and Patrick Mahomes wears number 15 and Garoppolo wears number 10 and you do Debo get, Samuel has a, a number in the oh, teens, yes. doesn't you, he? You get all those, but you get Kittle, Kelsey, and Mostert. Oh, huh. If you go over. Right. Because Mostert's 31. And Damian Williams. No, is number 26. 26, but it's 26 and a half. So, yeah. Un- so, so you under. Oh, you 26 get and a half. So you get un- Williams on the under. I'll uh, take the under. Yeah. Take the under on that. Um, And there were a couple ones, just again, going back to the fun stuff here that I wanted to point out because they're ridiculous, but I also think they might be locks I, at plus money. Uh, one is will they mention Raheem Mostert is an undrafted free agent? Or was a undrafted free agent in the broadcast? That was plus one thirty. Of course they will. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> I mean, you're talking about from not in the pregame, but when the the broadcast starts, kickoff, the... <clears throat> kickoff to final whistle, halftime does not count. Uh, so it's it's the broadcast. It's Buck and Aikman. Yes. Right. Well, it's, fo- it's a Fox it. game, right? Yes. Um. Yeah. They'll mention that he's an undrafted <laughs> free agent at some point in this game. You know, watch him get hurt on the first play, and then they'll just say, <laughs> "Yeah, the undrafted free agent done for the day." Um, all right, go ahead. There, there were a couple other of these kind of broadcast props. Will they show Joe Montana playing with the Chiefs? A Clipper picture. The yes, at least at the time, was plus one fifty. Hmm. I think the odds are better that we're going to see Hank Stram as a part of this broadcast <laughs> from some of the Super Bowl Four stuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I have no feel for that one. And then the other one a couple people are talking about is uh, Andy Reid. Will they show Andy Reid in that punt, pass, and kick contest? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> or will they mention <clears throat> Where Andy Reid is about uh, you know eight inches taller and 75 yep. pounds heavier than any kid in the punt, pass, and kick competition, which he competed in. Do you know, do you know what that highlight is from? <clears throat> I can tell you right now what it was from because you're not going to know the answer. Okay. 
It's from a Monday night game in 1971 at the L.A. Coliseum featuring the L.A. Rams mm-hmm, and the Washington Redskins. The oh, I didn't realize the Redskins were It involved. was the Redskins' first season under George Allen coaching against his former team. It was one of the highlight games of the season in 1971. George Allen going back to L.A. to coach against the Rams. The Redskins won the game and clinched their first playoff berth in like 25 years in the NFL on a Monday night football game in L.A. In part, at the end of the third quarter, the reason I know this is because the broadcast of that game, the actual ABC Monday night game broadcast with Frank Gifford and Dandy Don Meredith and Howard Cosell is available on YouTube. And at the end of the third quarter, when they used to have the punt, pass, and kick, you know, guys come out and do the competition there was a picture, and you see it, young Andy Reid, who was bigger than every other mm-hmm. kid out there. Uh, little did they know that night that Andy Reid would become a former, would become a future uh, NFL potential, I think, uh, almost a lock to be a Hall of Fame coach. Um, they'll mention it at some point. <laughs> what, what price am I getting? Uh, I got it yes? plus money. Or no, actually, it was plus money. Yes. Okay. Yes, it was plus money. Uh, I, I haven't played that one yet. I don't know if I right. will or not. Uh, you got one more? One more good one? Oh, one more really good one. Okay, you know what? Will the team that scores first win, win the game? Yeah. Yes is minus, I want to say it was minus 150, and no was plus 140. I'll always take the no in that spot. Yeah. Take, I, take, I, yeah especially take. with the way the Chiefs games have been going lately. Right, exactly. Um, have fun, people. Be careful, though. Because with all those prop bets, and some of these sites have, you know, we're talking about over a thousand. Oh yeah, you know, uh, prop bet opportunities. You can get sucked into it, and you can, you know, the next day be looking to borrow money from somebody <laughs> to pay your guy. Um, all right, let's finish up the show with a a score and more here. Time to settle the score. It's score and more. All right, Super Bowl prediction with a footnote. You go first. Oh boy. Okay, I'm going Chiefs. 31, 49ers, 24. Patrick Mahomes throws four touchdowns in the game, wins the MVP. You just gave the Chiefs and the over in the game by a half point um, based on the number today. I'm going to go 49ers 27, Chiefs 23. The 49ers rush for 200-plus yards in the game and have a 35 to 25 minimum time of possession Advantage. I actually believe the 49ers are going to have um, a game plan uh, and a matchup advantage on offense against Kansas City's defense. I, I'm old school when it comes to defense over offense in, in the playoffs. And, you know, I know it's a new day and Mahomes seems to be a new kind of freak. And I, I know what I watched in those, two, in those two playoff games at Arrowhead. And I'm not... Um, I'm not naive to think that he can't do that again. We saw something that I don't think we've ever seen in those two performances. And I would be concerned if I were a 49ers fan that you can't do anything to slow him down. The 49ers defensively are going to be the best defense they faced all year long. It is. Um, They got to get to him somehow. They have to get to him. I think it's really hard. But to me, their best offense will come, their best defense will come with their offense. You know, you got to keep a guy that has scored touchdowns on 12 of their team's last 17 drives. Think about that. The Chiefs, after falling behind 24 to nothing to Houston in the divisional round, they've scored touchdowns on 12 of 17 drives. 
Okay, that's unbelievable. Uh, it's really hard to envision them stopping him, which is why you got to use the offense to stop him. You got to possess the ball. You got to do what Tennessee did in the first half of their game, and they did it perfectly. They they possessed the ball. They scored. They were still down in that game. The 49ers have to do the same thing. They're going to have to score. They cannot, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo will put a ball or two or three up for grabs. You know, he does. He makes some bad throws during the course of a game. Minnesota picked him off. Green Bay uh, turned him over, I think. Um, And uh, the Chiefs are going to have an opportunity to do it. Uh, He can't do it, or they've got to get lucky when he does make a bad throw. Um, but I think they're going to move the football. I think they're going to score the points. Uh, score points. I think they're going to shorten the game with their offense and win 27-23 with another big game on the ground. I want to change my footnote really quickly. Instead of four passing touchdowns, three passing touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown for Patrick. Mahomes. How many yards rushing in the game? Over fifty? Uh, over twenty-six and a half? What was it? Thirty? Thirty-three or whatever? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll take the over on that one. I think he's going to have a couple scrambles. Crazy week this week. Uh, Thanks for listening. Um, Thanks to all of you who have uh, tweeted uh, about the shows this week. Um, Appreciate that. Uh, Enjoy the Super Bowl. Back on Monday to recap it.